This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. It is a genuine pleasure to be with you today on Getting to Know Your Bible. We do appreciate those of you that have tuned in to watch today, and we appreciate those who may be watching today for the very first time. Stay tuned today as we discuss the subject, the misunderstood Christ. The misunderstood Christ. Please stay tuned today. Now, on Getting to Know Your Bible, we offer a free Bible correspondence course. I emphasize the course is free, and we want you to have the opportunity to take this course, that you might know more about it and how to receive it. We're going to pause for just a moment. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580. Or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214. I'm going to be reading today from the 27th chapter of Matthew. Uh, Jesus has just said to his Father in heaven, Why have you forsaken me? And he called out by saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is to say, why, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now our text is in verse 47. Some of them that stood there when they heard that said, This man calls for Elias. You know, there are a lot of terms that are used to describe Jesus Christ. Jesus is called the lily of the valley. He's called the bright and the morning star. Jesus is also referred to as being wonderful. He's called the mighty God, the everlasting Father. But another word that could be used to describe Jesus not, not necessarily a word that is found in the Bible, but because of the things that happened to him, one word that could describe him is misunderstood. You know, misunderstanding is one of the great tragedies of the world. And the fact is, all of us can expect it sometimes. I know I've been misunderstood at times. I'm certain that you have been misunderstood at times. And sometimes that misunderstanding is the result of poor communication on my part. Maybe poor misunderstanding might result from poor listening to the person to whom I'm speaking. But sometimes it's poor communication. Now, it was in the fateful day of Jesus' death that Jesus Christ was misunderstood. The fact of the matter is, Jesus was misunderstood all of his life. And what we'd like to do is to think about some things that, about Jesus that have been misunderstood. Now, one of the things that's been misunderstood about Jesus is the, is the miracles that Jesus performed. And, and Jesus did perform miracles. There's no doubt about that. Jesus caused the tempest to cease by saying, Peace, 
be still. Jesus calls those who were not able to see to see again. He calls those that were not able to speak to be able to speak again. He, he was able to take just a small amount of food, loaves and fishes, and feed a great multitude of people. That was a miraculous thing. And Jesus was even able to raise people from the dead. Now, some have thought that the only purpose of Jesus' miracles was to relieve suffering humanity. And, of course, that was one of the purpose of his miracles, to help those that were suffering and those that were hurting. But, but was that the only purpose of Jesus' miracles? Another reason that Jesus performed miracles was in order that people might believe. John chapter 11 is the occasion where Jesus came to the home of his friend Lazarus. And Lazarus had died. And Lazarus' sister had called for Jesus to come, telling him that, his, that her brother was dead. And this is what Jesus said in John chapter 11 and verse 15. I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there. That is, when Lazarus was sick near death. He said, to the intent that you may believe. Jesus knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. But he said, the reason that I'm glad that I wasn't there to prevent his death is in order that you might believe. You see, Jesus' miracles were, were for the purpose of causing people to believe. In John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, the, G, the Bible says there, many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But, but these are written. Why are they written? That you might believe. That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you might have life through his name. So Jesus' miracles were, were not just to relieve suffering humanity. Jesus' miracles were performed to create faith in the hearts of people. Now, during the infancy of the church, that is, right after the church had its beginning, that the miracles were performed by apostles and others. Now, what was the purpose of the miracles that were performed in those days? Well, let's turn over to Mark, the 16th chapter, and in verse number 20, and we find one of the reasons that miracles were performed, and this was talking about the apostles here in Mark chapter 16. And the reason I know he's talking about the apostles, because in verse 14, he appeared to the eleven, and uh, he began to upbraid them for, for their unbelief and their hardness of heart, because they believed not. And then in verse 20, he says, and they went forth, the apostles went forth, and preached everywhere the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. They were confirming the word. What does that really mean, to confirm the word? It just simply means to uh, establish the fact that what you are seeing, what you are hearing is in fact true. And Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, listen to what the writer says. Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest any time we should let them slip. 
If the word spoken by angels proved steadfast in every transgression and disobedience, received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Now listen to him. Which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord. It was spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. So what does that mean? That the word that Jesus spoke was confirmed by those that heard him. Well, it simply means that they were saying this is what Jesus said and and this is true. This actually is what he said and it is the word of the living God. And now how were they doing that? Verse number four, God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. The God's word in the infancy of the church was confirmed by miracles that were performed. Now we have to understand that, uh, to, that they did not have the Bible as you and I have it today. They did not have it in written form. No, the Bible is in the process of being revealed a little here, a little there, until finally it was completed. There are those that claim that they have those powers that the apostles had in the early uh, first century, and they claim that if you have enough faith, if you have enough faith, then there can be a miracle happen in your life. Now, let me pause long enough to say that I believe sometimes people uh, mistake the providence of God for a miracle. I believe in the providence of God, where God is working providentially in the lives of people, and, and He's working providentially in the lives of all people. There's the realm of, of, of a special providence, where God is working in the lives of His people. There's the realm of general providence, where God is working and providing for all people. For example, he causes the sun to shine on the good, and the sun also shines on the evil. So that's God's general providence, where God is providing, but there are special favors and blessings that are confined to those that belong to the Lord. That's what Romans 8.28 is all about, that all things work together for good. To them that love the Lord, to them that are the called according to his purpose. Thou art, I believe with all of my heart that God is working providentially in the background according to the, his established laws in the lives of his children. And sometimes something may happen providentially in our lives and people refer to it as being a miracle. A miracle occurs when it supersedes God's established laws. When it's something that is done that is contrary to all the laws of God. And sometimes say, someone says, well, if you had enough faith, then you could have a miracle happen in your life. What about the daughter of Jairus? How much faith did she have? And what about poor old Eutychus in Acts chapter 20 that fell out of the window while Paul was preaching? How much faith did he have? But Paul raised him from the dead, and the daughter of this man was raised from the dead as well. You see, miracles have happened. For example, God caused the, the children of Israel to be, be able to cross the Red Sea on dry land. That was a miracle. 
There was an occasion when God caused the sun to stand still, and that was a miracle. Jesus Christ raised men from the dead, and that was a miracle. He raised Lazarus from the dead. All he had to do is say, Lazarus, come forth. And the life began to enter into the body of Lazarus, and he came forth walking again and talking again with his sisters. So I believe in miracles, but what about them happening today? Miracles, I believe the Bible teaches this with all of my heart, that they've served their purpose. Well, you say, well, what was their purpose? You see, before the Bible was written, in the infancy of the church, in the very beginning when they did not have the Bible to follow as you and I have it today, there was a need to confirm that what the apostles and other men were teaching was the Word of God. For example, how would we know that they were teaching the truth? Well, I want you to use an Old Testament illustration of when Moses appeared before Pharaoh. And he wanted to know, how will they know that I'm telling the truth? And the Lord said, what do you have in your hand? He said, it's a rod. And so he threw that rod down, and it became uh, turned into a serpent. Well, the magicians of Egypt were, were, uh, did some kind of a fake miracle, and, and they had serpents, but Moses' serpents swallowed their serpents. That was a miracle. And it was to confirm that the message that God sent Pharaoh was indeed from him. Let my people go. And it eventually Pharaoh was convinced after a number of plagues. So miracles were to confirm that what God was teaching was true. It, the apostles had the power to perform miracles. They were baptized with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, verse 1, Bible says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord at one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all of the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. And it set up on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. If you will continue reading, you will learn that those tongues were languages into which men had been born. That is, there were Parthians and Medes and the Elamites and the dwellers of Mesopotamia and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Pamphylia, Pamphylia and Libya and, and, and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. They were from all over the then known world. And the apostles had the power to speak in the languages and the dialects of these people that they might teach them about the Lord Jesus Christ. So the apostles could perform miracles. Peter raised Dorcas from the dead. Paul raised Eutychus from the dead in Acts chapter 9 and in Acts chapter 20. But the purpose of those miracles was to confirm that what they were teaching was the Word of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and in verse 12, those things done by the apostles were spoken of as being the, their credentials. That that's truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in miracles and signs and, and, and mighty, mighty deeds. And so those, those miracles that they performed 
was for the purpose confirming what they taught was indeed the Word of God. Now, there were those others in the apostolic church, in the infancy of the church, who were able to perform miracles. It was because they had had the hands of an apostle laid upon them. In Acts chapter 8, Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, so he offered them money, tried to buy that gift. You see, the, the apostles were baptized with the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2, and they were able to perform miracles. They could pass that on, as it were, to others by the laying on of their hands. It follows that when the last apostle died, inasmuch as that gift was giving through the, given through the laying on of the hands of an apostle, and when the last person died upon whom the apostles had laid their hands, that that miraculous gift came to an end. It served its purpose. You say, well, what was its purpose? Turn to Ephesians, the fourth chapter, and let's begin reading about verse number 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some pastors and some evangelists and some teachers for the perfecting of the saints. That's the reason they had those, those uh, offices in the church, those functions, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying, that is the building up of the body of Christ. How long? What was the duration? Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Those gifts were to last there was a, until they came in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. There was a duration for those gifts. Well, as someone says, well, we, we still have some of those gifts today. Yes, we have those who are evangelists. We have those who are pastors, that are elders, or bishops, or shepherds. All of those terms mean the same thing. And we have those that are teachers. There are still those non-miraculous functions that exist today in the church. But those miraculous gifts were designed for a reason. I want you to turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we begin reading in 1 Corinthians 13, verse number 8. Love never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. That would be supernatural prophecies that were given. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Men had the ability to speak in languages they had never studied. He said, but they're going to cease one day. They will no longer exist. Whether there be knowledge, that's supernatural knowledge. It shall vanish away, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. You see, they did not have the Bible in its completed form as you and I have it. They did not have the New Testament, the last will and testament of Jesus Christ. And so a little was being revealed here, a little was being revealed there. And he said, we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come. Someone says, now, Brother Lambert, isn't that talking about the coming of Jesus Christ. No, it, Jesus is not a that. Jesus is a who. Let me read it. But when that which is perfect is come. If this had reference to Jesus, wouldn't it not, would it not read? But when he who is perfect is come. But, but, that, it, but it's talking about the completed 
full, full revelation of the Word of God. James 1.25 refers to God's law as a perfect law of liberty. He said, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. He said, when I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, then I, now I know in part, right now he said, we know in part. But he said, but, I, but then I shall know even as also I am known. You see, the, the, in the infancy of the church, while the church was in its beginning stages, these miraculous gifts were like scaffolding around a building that's being constructed. There was a purpose for those miracles, and it was to confirm the word of the living God. And once the building is erected, and once the fulfilled revelation of God's word is given, there was no purpose then to confirm the word because the word has now been revealed, and it is confirmed. Once something is confirmed once, it need not ever be confirmed again. Today we have all of the Word of God revealed to us. Peter said we have all things that pertain to life and godliness. And by the time the last inspired writer died, all religious truth had been revealed to the world. And hence there is no longer the need for the miracles to confirm the Word because it has been given. John 16, 13 is talking about the Holy Spirit. Howbeit when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He shall guide you into all truth. We have all the truth of God revealed to us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so sometimes people misunderstand the miracles of Jesus and the reason for them and the purpose for those miracles. Sometimes Jesus' silence is misunderstood. While Jesus was on trial for his life, and you'll read about this in Mark chapter 15 and verse number 3, Jesus is standing on trial, and, and Jesus Christ is asked to answer for himself. But I want you to listen to what it says. The chief priest accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. Pilate asked him again, you don't answer anything? And then Jesus answered nothing. So that Pilate marveled. That's down in verse 5. Jesus was silent when he was being accused. That was a fulfillment of a prophecy back in Isaiah 53 and verse 7. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep done before his shearer, so he opened not his mouth. He didn't answer a word. When he was accused, he didn't say a word. Now sometimes... Silence in a situation like that is misunderstood as an admission of guilt. While well, a person may be on trial, maybe on trial for their life, and, and maybe they, they're, they're asked certain questions, and then when they are asked these questions by the prosecutor, they refuse to answer. They say nothing. And then the prosecutor tries to take that silence and twist it around to make it an admission of guilt on their part. And very likely, there were those who thought that Jesus' silence on this occasion was an admission of his guilt of the charges that had been brought against him. He answered not a word. 
You know, sometimes the silence of God's word is misunderstood. Just like Jesus was misunderstood while he was on trial for his life, sometimes the Bible being silent on certain topics is taken as a license for an individual to just kind of do whatever it is they want to do. For example, somebody says, you know, preacher, that you can't find a verse in the Bible anywhere that teaches that you cannot baptize babies. Well, folks, I've been studying this book a good long while now. I've been preaching it for 55 years now. And, and, you know, I'll agree. I've never found a verse in there that says you cannot baptize babies. It's silent on that. But don't mistake the silence on that as a license to baptize babies because the Bible is clear as to who should be baptized. People who are to be baptized must be old enough to become believers. Our Lord said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. They not only have to be old enough to believe, they have to be old enough to confess their faith. That is, they confess they believe. As in the case of Acts chapter 8, when the man asked, here's water, why can't I be baptized? And the preacher said, you can if you believe. He said, I believe. Jesus is Christ, the Son of God. So that sort of eliminates babies, doesn't it? And of course, when they're talking about baptizing babies, they're talking about maybe putting a little water on top of their heads. And, and the Bible is clear about the mode of baptism Baptism is not a sprinkling, it is not a pouring, but it is an immersion. Actually, with the word baptize has never been translated, it's transliterated. If it's translated, it would read dip, immerse, or plunge. Baptism is a burial, buried with him in baptism, wherein also you're risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, Colossians 2.12. So sometimes the silence of the Bible is misunderstood. But friends, the Bible is not silent about what to do to become a Christian. You must believe on Christ with all of your heart. Repent of your sins. Confess that you believe Jesus is the Christ. And you must be baptized into Christ that you might be saved from your sins. He that believeth is baptized shall be saved. Mark 16 and verse 16. I want to thank you for watching today. And may I give you a personal invitation to visit the Church of Christ in your community. May God bless you and keep you till we meet again. We want to help you as much as possible in your search for a personal relationship with God. You can now easily access our free Bible correspondence course online at gettingtoknowyourbible.com. If there's any way we can help you grow closer to God, please email us at knowyourbible at golftel.com. Or call us anytime at 1-877-711-5214. Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible. 
P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama 36580 or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bible.